You're listening to the official podcast of Church Untitled, located in downtown Vancouver. We are a community set apart to bear His name, in our city, for His glory. We hope that you're blessed and enriched by this message. So the title of my message today is called Good Design. Good Design. God's original intention for humanity and his desire to transform us back to his original design. I, um, I grew up in the 80s. I'm an 80s baby. Any other 80s babies in here? Yeah. I don't want to get my mom in trouble. She's actually here. But growing up, hopefully this doesn't offend you, but growing up, I would get spanked on occasion. Is that okay? You're not going to call the police on my mom? She's doing all right. On occasion, on the rare occasion, because I think I'm a pretty good boy. I think it was pretty good. But there was a tool that was used in the home. (laughs) I mean, a soft tool. It wasn't nothing crazy. It was the infamous wooden spoon from Ikea. Is anybody? You guys, you guys doing okay? You traumatized? You guys healed from that? This is the message of healing, so I think you'll be okay. But that infamous wooden spoon would come out on the occasion to give me a whooping. My brother's not here, so I'm going to talk about him a little bit. But when he knew it was coming, he would layer on his underwear, like (laughs) layer upon layer, so that it would just reduce the impact. Or he would put books in the back there. He was smart. I just took it like a man. But I don't, I don't think that the designer from Ikea was thinking this spoon is going to be used for parents who want to spank their kids. I don't think that was his like, intention when he was in his design process designing the wooden spoon. Now, I'm sure you knocked it off. Wooden spoons have been around for a while. But Ikea did a version that a lot of people jumped on board with. But I don't think that that was his original intention. In the same way, God created us with certain intention to be used for a certain purpose and to model something. In the book of John, chapter 1, verse 1, it says, in the very beginning, and this is from the, the Passion Translation, it says, in the very beginning, the living expression was already there. Other translations say, in the beginning was the word. You could also say and define living expression or the word as God. In the very beginning, the living expression was already there. And the living expression was with God. Yet fully God, they were together, face to face in the very beginning. And through his creative inspiration, this living expression made all things. For nothing has existence apart from him. Verse 3, he had a creative inspiration when he created us. Genesis 1.26, it says that God created us in his image and in his likeness. In other words, God created us to be like him, to take on that living expression. 
So in many ways, we're like a chip off the old block. We're called to be like God. That was his intention for humanity. A lot of us are familiar with the term original sin. And uh, we know that the first humanoids on this planet, known as Adam and Eve, they disobeyed God. And we define that as the original sin. But sometimes when we think about sin, I think we think about just the action. The action of cheating, lying, stealing, you know, things of this nature. But the actual better or the more descriptive definition of the word sin is to miss the mark. And so what happened in the Garden of Eden, in the beginning of creation, they missed the mark. And all of a sudden, God's original design and desire for his creation, for Adam and Eve, became corrupted. It became disjointed. It got disrupted, even disconnected. You know, God and man, heaven and earth, were always meant to be in communion. It was always meant to be an intersection with heaven and earth. That was always God's design and always his plan. So things became disjointed. Things became disrupted. But God had a plan. He had a plan, and he brought Jesus. We know the scripture. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. But he didn't just send Jesus to be our savior. Though I'm not saying that's not something to celebrate. It's the best news on the planet. But more than just an important historical figure, and even not just being our savior, Jesus was the embodiment and model of God's original design for humans. The living expression of God's ultimate will and desire for us. So Jesus came to model. He came to model that living expression of what God's original design was for us. And so we look to him and we follow him and we model our life after him. Not his physical appearance. You know, we're not called to literally be a Jew or to choose his occupation. Some say he was a carpenter, so you don't got to go out and start carpentry. Or to dress like him with the white gown and the blue sachet or whatever it is that he wore. You guys ever think about what Jesus would actually wear if he was alive today? Your thoughts? Birkenstocks. <laughs> Andrew was going somewhere with that. Are we all just not hearing God and Andrew is... It's got... <laughs> I think about it sometimes. I thought about that, the outfit that he'd wear today. In my mind, I don't know why. This is sort of like rabbit trail, but in my mind, I picture Jesus with a white t-shirt tucked in, maybe semi-high-rise uh, Levi's jeans or something like that. Maybe Kirkland. Birkenstocks, of course. Is that kind of what you guys picture him as? <laughs> just curious. His, his long hair is still sticking around a little bit. Maybe a little bit of a mullet just to say, hey, I'm still the Christ. I don't know. I picture those things. Maybe a Balenciaga hat. His gown was seamless. Remember that? All jokes aside, we're, we're not called to take on the physical model. We're called to take on that living expression that Jesus modeled. You see, even us as a church, 
This is what we're being transformed into. You know, as Church Untitled, we're not only asking God and praying that God will give us a model for how to conduct a Sunday service or how to build a brand that's recognizable, as valuable as those things can be and are, and that, you know, those things we go after. Our main objective and what we're aiming for is to be transformed into the model that God has already shown us. And Jesus is that prototype. He's the person we're looking to. He's the one that we're being transformed into. Ephesians 4, verse 11 to 13 in the New King, uh, King James translation. This gives us just a picture and a framework of what I'm talking about in the age that we're currently in. It says this, And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers, for the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the fullness of the stature of Christ. To the perfect man, to the fullness of the stature of Christ. That's what we're being formed into. What you see in Jesus, what you saw in Jesus in the Gospels, grace, truth, power, authority, healing, rest. That's what we're being transformed into. Isn't that a beautiful image to be transformed into? Would you not agree? Who doesn't want to be like Jesus? Don't put up your hand. I said it wrong. Who wants to be like Jesus? There we go. Good job, mom. So that's kind of a snapshot. That's a bigger picture, I'd say. But let's, let's bring things home a little bit. Let's, let's talk about us individually. Maybe some of us feel disjointed. Maybe some of us feel conflicted. There's doubt, maybe unbelief. Maybe some of us feel stuck, like anxiety and depression just always hold us back. And these things, they cripple us and they hold us from becoming that person that we feel we're called to be. Maybe you always feel like there's a, like there's a battle in your mind. Listen to this. Your mind is spiritual real estate. And it's always been since the way, day you were born. And say that again. Your mind is spiritual real estate. And it has always been since the day you were born. You know, we all have different personalities, right? We come from different backgrounds, different cultures, different families. I wanted to read the Wikipedia definition of personality. It's this. Personality is defined as the characteristic set of behaviors, cognitions, and emotional patterns that evolve from biological and environmental factors. While there is no generally agreed upon definition of personality, most theories focus on motivation and psychological interactions with one's environment. Any people on kind of like the personality test bandwagon? Any Enneagram junkies out here? It's such a trend, isn't it? No, I know, right? 
<laughs> Who needs the gospel when you get Enneagram? Not true. Not true. Not true. But Tiffany's on board. I'm on board. I love it. I mean, I find it super insightful, super valuable to understand your personality type. Um, I have a bit of a hard time with it sometimes. I think because I overthink too much. And, you know, these types of personality tests, they always encourage you to, like, not overthink. So I'm like, well, that's my personality type. What do you expect me to do? <laughs> Is there, like, another test for the person who thinks too much? But uh, we, did, we did the test a couple months ago. And um, I don't remember what number I, I even was. But I wasn't so keen on the personality type that I was. So maybe that's why I'm not so keen on the actual Enneagram. I've done other ones where it's like, you're like Martin Luther King. And I'm like, yeah. This one, I don't know. But anyway, I find them super valuable, you know, insightful, great for business, great for even marriage, understanding each other, good for church culture, super insightful. But here's the thing. It is limited. You know, it can be super valuable to help define us to a certain point and help shed light on our personality. But does it transform you? Can it transform you just simply having that knowledge? I'm into uh, transformation. And I'm believing that even the message today will provoke us onto a path of transformation. So our beliefs, behaviors, patterns of thinking can in part be biological. But we're also products, byproducts of our culture, our upbringing, families, experiences, but I want to say here today that ultimately we're byproducts of the spiritual climate around us. As I said earlier, your mind is spiritual real estate. This parable here paints a bit of this picture. It's in Matthew 13, verse 24, in the Passion Translation. Then Jesus taught them another parable. Heaven's kingdom realm can be compared to a farmer who planted good seed in his field. But at night, when everyone was asleep, an enemy came and planted poisonous weeds among the wheat and ran away. When the weeds sprouted and bore grain, the weeds also appeared. So the farmer's hired hands came to him and said, Sir, wasn't that good seed that you sowed in the field? Where did all the weeds come from? He answered, This has to be the work of the enemy. They replied, do you want us to go and gather up all the weeds? He said, no. If you pull out the weeds, you might uproot the wheat at the same time. You must allow them both to grow together until the time of harvest. At that time, I'll tell my harvesters to make sure they gather the weeds first, tie them up all in bundles to be burned. Then they will harvest the wheat and put it into my barn. A simple thing we, we can extract from this, at least from some of it, is this idea that God is the farmer. But both God the farmer in this parable and the enemy of our souls have been planting seeds of thought into the soil of our hearts and our minds. In the world of uh, psychology, which I like to explore a little bit, it is said that many of our beliefs are formed and hardwired into our way of thinking at a really young age. As soon as even the age of seven, the good and the bad. And what it does is it starts to create this loop and this pattern in us. And they, they define this pattern like this. What you believe 
ends up dictating your thoughts. Those thoughts then end up dictating your emotions. Your emotions dictate your actions, and your actions dictate your results. And when you see the results, or in biblical language, you could say when you see the fruit in your life, it then affirms your belief, good or bad, truth or lie. And so these beliefs become so hardwired inside of us that it becomes even hard to distinguish what's good, what's bad, what's wheat and what's poisonous weed, what's truth, what's lies. It almost becomes so a part of our personality, so intertwined. You guys know what visceral fat is? It's another little hobby of mine on YouTube. Looking into, not visceral fat particularly, but, you know, things to do with health and, you know, keto. Yes, keto, I won't go there. But visceral fat is the, is the fat that it's, it's in your abdominal cavity and it's hidden in there. It's not the fat that you feel on the outside. You know, the fat that when I go to the five guys, I normally feel a little bit to think, you know, to see like, is this, can I eat another burger and fries? Do I have space? But visceral fat is the fat that just sneaks up in there. And you still, you, you feel hard. You know, it's like the solid one pack, right? It starts to grow and you're not always aware. It just, it becomes a part of your body composition. And unless, you know, you, you start to almost become deceived. It's like you look in the mirror and you're like, I'm good. And then you walk away and you let it back out again because it feels, it feels solid. In the same way, you know, our belief system, you know, from a young age, it becomes so intertwined inside of our psyche that we just feel like that's who I am. That's just how I think. That's where I come from. That's the way my family does things. So there are these moments in our life, moments in our life that we didn't necessarily ask for, moments when the enemy has intentionally been trying to plant seeds of doubt, unbelief. Maybe it was through traumatic experiences. Maybe you saw things you shouldn't have seen. Maybe you were bullied growing up. Maybe you didn't make the basketball team at the age of five. No, I'm sorry. <laughs> There are, are words that have been spoken to us. People trying to define us. And so the enemy has been intentionally trying to plant these seeds in the soil of our mind, trying to get us to believe things that are inconsistent with God's original design for us. Remember, Jesus is our model. I want to say this. Most of our spiritual battles, what we define as spiritual warfare, spiritual battles, most of the time, we're not actually fighting, so to say, face-to-face -face with the demon. Most of the time, it's about reclaiming the real estate of our mind. Most of the time, it's about reclaiming the landscape of our thoughts. 2 Corinthians 10, verse 4, says this, For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God, and pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, 
bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. So here's the thing. If the enemy can get you to think certain things, I'm a victim, for example. I'm good for nothing. God doesn't love me. He's mad at me. Guilt, shame. If he can get you to think these thoughts, we can start to become people who express his will on this planet rather than God's will on this planet. He can gain ground without even having to be present. You know, he's not always trying to slap us in the face if he can get us to slap ourselves in the face and make a spectacle of it. He can't be everywhere, but if he can get in your mind. So we want transformation. Romans 12, verse 2 from the Passion Translation says this. Stop imitating the ideals and opinions of the culture around you. I'll stop there real quick to say the reason why is because culture is also subject to truth and lies. There's a mixture. So don't be conformed to that, but inwardly transformed by the Holy Spirit through a total reformation of how you think. This will empower you to discern God's will as you live a beautiful life, satisfying and perfect in his eyes. So how do we renew our minds? How do we walk this out? How do we start to move towards transformation and into freedom? Hebrews 4, verse 12 says, For the word of God is living and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. And there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him whom he must give account. First thing I want to say is this. As the great poet of our day, Kendrick Lamar says, sit down, be humble. (laughs) Don't listen to the rest of the song. (laughs) Sit down, be humble. In Romans 12, verse 1, the passage of Scripture just before, it's talking about transformation. It says, Paul says, I encourage you to surrender yourself. See, what we need to do is we need to allow our truth to be challenged. Is that okay with you? You know, we live in a time where we're very much about speaking our truth. And I'm all for authenticity. I'm all for being honest and being real. But we need to remember that our truth, even including me, can be a byproduct of truth and lies. As our minds and our hearts are real estate. So we need to humble ourselves, surrender ourselves. Second thing is we want to allow for God's word to dissect our beliefs. We want to allow for God's word to dissect our beliefs. You know, to say I love me is not heresy. To say I love myself a lot is not a bad thing to do. You know, Jesus actually commanded us, the first commandment was to love God and love your neighbor as you love yourself. So it's actually obedience to love yourself. But what we need is for God's word to dissect the parts of us that we're called to love, that we're called to celebrate, 
that the uniqueness about us that we're called to flourish in, the, the original design for us. See, God's word makes a distinction. And he says, yes, that's good. Yes, I love that about you. Yes, celebrate who you are. But then there are things that we need to have purged. There are things that we need to have burned out of our life that were never meant to be there in the first place. So we want God's word to dissect us. The third thing, align what you say about yourself with what, with what God says about you. Hebrews 4 verse 12 it talks about God's word being like a two-mouth sword. Another way you could describe that, a two-mouth sword would be like God speaking his thoughts towards you, but it not stopping there. You choosing with your mouth to also speak what God is saying about you, to agree and align yourself with what God has said about you. See, he's the designer from the very beginning of creation. He knew you before you were even born and he saw you a certain way and he had a certain intention for your life. And we can actually connect with that truth to know why he loves us, what he loves about us. If God says, I'm loved, I'm loved. If God says, you're accepted, you're accepted. If God says, you're blessed, you are blessed. But it's actually up to us to a certain degree, to align yourself with that truth. You know, God's given us authority on this earth. He's given us stewardship. And part of how we steward what God has given us is by what we say. Proverbs 18.21 very well-known scripture, death and life are in the power of the tongue. That was even before the cross that Solomon shared this wisdom. You know, Christian or not, what you speak will have impact. I was watching another random YouTube video, psychology stuff, and I heard this statement, if somebody says something out loud, it is 10 times more powerful and likely that it'll happen than if they just think it. How much more those who have the spirit of God in us? How much more those who have the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead? What kind of power do your words have? If speaking positive and or negative has certain fruit in your life, why don't we take ownership of the gift that God has given us of this tongue and his truth and his word about us? our families, our cities, and why don't we start to see change by the words we speak? Um, about, uh, well, years ago, I don't remember exactly when, I had a dream that impacted me quite a bit. And in the dream, I was asked to come up to the stage and to speak and to preach. And so I got up to the stage and I started to introduce myself. And I said, my name is Hans. 
I'm half Dutch, half Finnish. My mom's Finnish. And I said the Dutch side of me is outgoing and bold, but the Finnish side of me is a little more timid, shy. And then right away, this guy stood up and he pointed at me and he said, God has not given you a spirit of fear, but a power and love and a sound mind. See, what I was doing in that dream, my default was to believe that simply being timid or shy was just because of my origin or my culture. Like it was just a part of who I was. I think it's good to understand on a larger scale that for years before we were even born, seeds have been planted. Nations, families, cultures, cities. So I needed God's word to dissect and redefine who I was. We can't hide behind our family, our cultures, our backgrounds. You know, being a dad now, I'm getting a little more sensitive, or I am actually quite sensitive in what I say. I'm very sensitive, let's just say it that way, on what I say over my daughter. And I take it above and beyond, you know, hey, beautiful, beautiful, you're amazing, you're amazing, you're this, you're that, you know, always dancing. You know, half of the time when you're a dad, you're singing songs. I don't know if Ryan does. I'd like to hear it if he does. You know, I might be half Finnish. I might be a little more introverted, but I'm not timid. You might be a little more quiet, but God hasn't given you a spirit of fear. See, it's okay to be a certain personality, but rather than be hijacked by something like fear, our goal is to be hijacked by the love of God. So the best of our personality is seen in this earth so that the will of God is expressed through our lives. I don't talk a lot. That's okay. So what about you? Do you want to allow for God to dissect and redefine who you are? Do you want to allow God to start this process and this work of transformation in your life? Thanks for listening to the Church Untitled podcast. Be sure to subscribe to stay up to date on our latest messages. For more about what's happening in our community, follow us on social media or visit us at churchuntitled.com.